0: Life's good. Never off. Close. Hard. Hardly yes. Come on, Rent! Life's good.
1: Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they no. saved oh. it for her? It. Yes, they
0: have. Ooh. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott.
1: Sean, you caught me taking a drink of water.
0: There's a countdown for when I'm going to start it, though.
1: Well, yeah, but it's like in TV when the last few seconds are silent, so the audio medium doesn't—it's really, not really conducive to me hearing that. Anyway, how are how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Refreshed. That's good. Uh, you, uh, Sean, we we talked yesterday, so this is Monday after the Men's World Championship has finished. Uh, Sean, you said, "Oh, this." This championship game, it's on too late. Yeah, I got stuff to do on Monday. I'm not going to stay up. right? But then I see uh, you're tweeting from the Game of Stones account during the game.
0: Yes, I did stay up. I did not expect to, but I was doing other things. Things that I probably should have waited and done this morning. Not should have, could have waited and done this morning. I just started mm-hmm. doing them last night. And the game was on and I just stuck with it. So, yeah, I ended up watching it.
1: Yeah, I, I thought at first, like, oh, did Sean train, uh, like, schedules and tweets <laughs> that were just like, boy, both teams looking sharp. Uh, but no, you stayed up. I also stayed up. Uh, I was not doing anything else. But okay. <laughs> and so I I don't know why I did, but I'm, I'm glad I did. It was a good game. Uh, we're going to talk all about the whole championship. Yeah. And uh, I- I'm excited to get to it.
0: All right. So, yeah, let's get right into it. Nicholas Adeen and the team out of Sweden's
1: five time
0: world champion. Uh, Nicholas Adeen, not the whole team. First couple words with, team. with a different team. But Nicholas Adeen, now a five time world champion, a 10 to 5 victory over Team Scotland a game that was much closer than that score would indicate. Uh, Nick gets a five in the ninth end. Uh, as Tyler George noted, always good to get a five in the uh, latter part <laughs> of a gold medal game, eh, Nick? Uh, so that, that was kind of a, a fun little thing there. But five times, Scott. So question was asked by Curling Geek on Twitter. Does this confirm that Nicholas Adine is the greatest
1: of all time? I sure I, I think there's a lot <laughs> of of caveats that come with this whether it's in any sport right uh, is LeBron the greatest of all time or is Michael Jordan well like it depends who they play against depends on the rules at the time I think that given the level of competition right now five is pretty incredible uh, at the same time they get to go every year yes so if you look at someone like Kevin Cooey, who's been four times, and I believe won three or two. No, only won two. So his 50% is that better than Nicholas Adine's maybe 48% or something, just because they're there all the time. Right. I don't know. I, I think it's pretty incredible. You still got to win. You got to beat all these really great teams. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's very impressive. And uh, if you want to call him the greatest, go nuts.
0: Right. And it's interesting, right? He doesn't have the Olympic gold medal, and I think that's important. I mean, that is what the sport is based around now, whether for good or for bad. It's all based Mm -hmm. off of winning Olympic gold medals. He doesn't have one as yet. So I think that would be a, a point against him in there. And yeah, the fact that he doesn't have to go through a lot of folks to get to a world championship doesn't d- does that impact sort of how we assess his his world record? I don't know how how to equate those two. It's tough to do it with any team out of Canada because it's so hard to get there repeatedly, especially if you go back to the days pre Team Canada and you look at mm-hmm. some of the provincial fields that defending champions would have had to go through, and, and in a lot of cases didn't actually even get out of the province to go to the Briar again after you win a world championship. So it's kind of hard to assess in that sense. I, I think the best way to look at it is, you know, five's a lot. And he's been to four straight finals and that's pretty damn good. And let's just leave it at that.
1: And yeah, it's really good. And would you, would you say like Randy Furby who is six time Canadian champion, four time world champion is better? Probably not right? Probably not.
0: But again, that's different eras, different competition. And yeah. certainly there's a the, a very vocal group of people that would scream about the boycott uh, in terms of assessing Randy Furby's career as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. So yeah, it's a contextual thing, but uh, pretty impressive nonetheless.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the game though, Scott. Th- this game was, I-, I think, a lot of fun. I maybe I was a little punch drunk in suggesting that it was the best game since the 2019 women's final. I don't, I don't know. I think the botcher Cooey Friday game from the Briar overall had a higher level to it of shot making than this game did, but there were things in this game that I very much enjoyed and I was very much into, and I want to talk about one in painstaking detail because I had so much fun with it. But Scott, what was your assessment of the game?
1: I thought uh, there, like, it seemed to me like there was a lot of really good shot making, and it was small misses that give the chance to the to the other team. So, uh, I mean, I I made notes through the game. For example, the first end, you know, uh, Adin's first, he tries to freeze and it bounces a little bit, like just a little bit off the edge. Scotland's able to hit it and then a Dean makes a draw for one an amazing draw for one but if he gets that in the in the perfect spot maybe he's got a shot for two right uh there was another when uh Bruce Bruce's first like in the eighth end he sort of wrecked coming around a guard Mm -hmm. uh that was his chance to to maybe get to he was able to then draw the full four later on so it was it wasn't any like huge glaring mistakes but just like little 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 mistakes that's so often the case in curling, right? That uh made the difference. And then of course the biggest mistake in the ninth, uh, with his last shot, leaving it in a position to make or to give Nicodene a double for five. Yeah. I can say that's a mistake.
0: Yeah. And that was an execution issue there in the ninth. They played that ninth then very aggressively, trying to get the force. I think rightfully so. You you they, yeah. they had chances that maybe there's a blank, but your chances of stealing are so low that that I have no problem with the the strategy there of going really, really hard. They had a pocket set up on, Mm -hmm. on theirs. And again, we could talk about the the rocks, but I have no idea how Nicodine on his first one in the night, then moved the stone that was in the pocket. As far as he did, he moved it two or three feet, which if you do that at a recreational curling facility, it's not going anywhere.
1: No, it, it like you say, it was frozen in between two stones yeah. like yeah crazy. it's pretty incredible
0: yeah and, and then on Mounts last yeah he just doesn't get the the freeze into the right spot uh relatively straightforward double for three i think it was hard to, the, the challenge was to get it for five to not jam anywhere if he jams somewhere he gets it for three but he doesn't jam and he gets it for five and uh, i, th- I say good on scotland for shaking hands there too
1: yeah yeah i i didn't see any real issue uh with a jam on that uh, i was like oh -oh." and (laughs) my mind immediately went to the olympics yeah right like he made a made a tiny mistake it gave schuster a shot for five in the eighth end i think and uh that was basically ball game yeah same thing here and good on scotland for sure to say listen let's end this game on a high rather than (laughs) them running a set of rocks which they're it. obviously going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: So all right, Scott, I want to talk about though the fifth end. And I want to talk about this in detail because this end made me so happy and I was so impressed by it for both teams because I don't think anybody missed a shot in this end. And it was so impressive what to me Scotland was able to do in this end. And it's the sort of thing that we talked in the preview or or in the mixed doubles, the Greg Smith shot from the briar that gets on one V one that gets retired as the one V one champion. Everyone loves it. And it's a fun shot. Like don't get me wrong. Great shot. Absolutely. I think this a shot. The draw in the mixed doubles was harder and better, but it's not going to get the same attention as what, Greg Smith was able to do. The same thing here in the fifth end. This whole fifth end was brilliant by Team Scotland and by Team Sweden, but I want to focus on Scotland here. And it's never going to get any attention. Nothing highlight reel-ish happened, but it was effing brilliant the whole way through. So I want to start on uh, Bobby... Or excuse me, on Bobby Lammy's second shot of the end. If
1: we can go to that that is So uh, Scotland has the hammer in the sand or no, no, Sweden has the hammer. No. Okay. So Sweden has the hammer and on Bobby Lamy's second, Scotland has two center guards and they're trying to play a double raise to tap a Swedish rock behind those two center guards. Is that right?
0: No, you're, I think you're in the wrong end.
1: Uh, I'm in the fifth end.
0: Okay. Uh, there's only one center guard. Okay. So the, the setup right now in Bobby Lammy's uh, second shot here is that there is a Scottish center guard and there are Swedish stones in the 12 foot at 12 o'clock at about four o'clock and one in the eight foot at about 7.30, if you will. Okay, so that's the setup of three reds and Bobby Lammy is throwing his second one. And the question is for Scotland, what do you do here? And there was a potential thin double on the top one at 12 o'clock and, and the one that was in the back near four o'clock. And the front end yells this down to Bruce Mount and says, hey, like there's that really thin double. If you hit what you can see, you probably get a double that way. Maybe a triple, but probably not. I don't think the angle was there. And Bruce Mowat says, no, let's hit this back one, which is shot stone right now, roll behind the 12 o'clock stone and sit there. So Bobby Lammy with lightweight, sort of a a barrier weight, does that, rolls behind. And then Nicodine on the Swedish shot, they come around, hit it, but because it's kind of buried behind everything, it rolls over and now the two stones for Sweden are grouped at the four and five o'clock position in the 12 foot. Yes. This is where it gets great to me because on Grant Hardy's first one, Scotland goes after the one at the top at the 12 o'clock position. Again, lightweight, just a little more than hack. They come around perfectly judged, perfectly swept, total team shot, and then they roll over in front of the Swedish stones. And what was brilliant about this is that the double was a gimme. They could have made a double on the back ones and it would have been mm. just an absolute gimme, no more calls, like that's it. And they're going to get probably only give up two
1: in that scenario. But that's those two aren't the rocks that are hurting you, right? Yep. Uh Because if you play that double and Dean comes around again, then then you're in a lot of trouble right so oscar erickson hits the stone that
0: grant hardy threw and now you have three ones three shots in the 12 foot for bruce mowett on his first and they're kind of on a diagonal line through the 12 foot that bruce Mauet can see so he plays at the stones and they kind of jam up and he only gets rid of one of them but Scott, has got the patience of that to wait three shots to throw out big weight something at the red stones to me was so effing impressive the patience Mm. of that and then the execution of these soft weight shots to group all of these stones together I I was so impressed by it
1: yeah and they were playing very patient curling all week. I think I saw them throw, you know, draws to the wings behind the tee line or uh, in their in their game against Canada, or maybe it was is the last round robin game, I think. They they were playing come-arounds around, you know, like two corner frozen rocks in the top eight foot. They were playing like around it. Uh, real, real patient team Scotland this week. So just before I go on, Sean, Lammy's first shot in five was a a double tap that missed the Scottish, or Swedish stone. So it ended up with one guard. You're right. Right. So
0: yeah, I was just so, uh, just so very impressed by the ability for them to be patient, to take the time. And eventually they get a force out of this. And in the moment I tweeted that so many teams would have given up multiples there because they would have gone for something big weight when you're facing the three, try the thin angle, try another run back something, but the patience of this team to just group the stones together. Eventually you get that double later on with the other stone. Now that jams in a not threatening position to you at all. And you Mm -hmm. are then able to be behind your center guard to a point now where Nicodine on his first one has to try to draw in behind and then, Bruce, on his first, he's able to chase uh, with a beautiful yeah. lightweight shot. Again, that's another yeah. full-team shot. And then it forces Nick to throw the opposite turn on his last one to get the single. Hmm. So yeah, just a brilliant series of shots by Scotland and by Sweden to be able to respond in kind to the pressure that was put on them.
1: Yeah, that's right. So after, uh, after the double that they made, they, they were trying the triple uh it was like sort of a board weight run back on adine's draw that went in behind the center guard yep was in a perfect spot then adine draws that it looked pretty perfect to me but like you say bruce was able to come down chase it and tap it through just through sit the two and then adine had to make uh, a pretty good draw for one on the opposite path you're right i didn't think about that but uh that that's Yeah, that's a big deal, right? You're comfortable. You've just played one side and now you got to switch to the other. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So for me watching it, I'll take
0: ends like this over Hulk smash any day of the week. And none of those shots that were in that fifth end would make a highlight reel. None of them. And yet to me, that was the most brilliant end of the game for both teams. For Scotland on the strategy and the patient side, and for Sweden being able to execute, uh, like n- really, f- the last ten shots of the end were made perfectly, exactly as called, and it was just a masterclass of curling. And I was so into that end, and that's really why I stayed up, is because that end to me was so great. Mm.
1: Yeah, and uh, throughout the rest of the game, uh, there was it was such really such good shot making that. Ended up forcing the other team. You yeah. know, there was there was always like maybe if I can make this just perfect, and get a miss, I'll be able to get a two. But they weren't the whole the whole rest of the game. It was just a really really great great execution mm-hmm. that we saw.
0: Yeah, just a just a wonderful end of curling. So, if you were to go back, and I think that's probably maybe even when I tweeted about the, having the most fun in a game since the 2019 Women's World Final, mm. because yeah, that that end was just so. So great. And if you are going to show somebody to me, like really just high level, really great combination of strategy and execution, full team shots, because the sweepers were essential on all of these shots. That just show them that end. That was just brilliant to me.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and that's definitely a thing we never see in the club, right? Is that everybody in the club is so eager to get shot or to sit one or sit two? that you're, you're not patient enough No, uh, at doing those things. Like, let it build. And, and, of course, that usually is because the execution is not good and we need four tries to make it. Of course. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a definite difference between uh, the guys that are playing at this level and what we're doing hucking rocks on Thursday nights.
0: Yeah, and, and Vic even said that during that end. He said, you know, at the rec level, you go after the shot stone. And they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're they're playing in some respects a different sport than the rest of us.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, really great game by both teams. One pretty bad mistake was the difference.
0: Yeah, uh, in the second half of the games, Sweden did have more pressure on. You know, if you look at the sixth end, yeah. there was really no chance at a uh, multiple score at any point in that end. Same thing in the eighth. You never really felt like Scotland was going to get a multiple in there. So I would say overall the right team won if you look at the the whole scope of the game. But but generally, yeah, a very well-executed game. And uh, I found it very entertaining.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: So Scotland with the silver medal, that moves them up a rung from their previous highest finish at a world championship for Bruce Mountain and the team. I don't think that really would provide much solace today. But in a couple weeks, perhaps, that, uh, that'll make them feel a little better. It's certainly a tough loss, given everything that was going on in the bubble. On the other sheet last night, the Swiss and the team skipped by Peter De Cruz with Benoit Schwartz throwing last. They pick up the bronze medal and a record fourth bronze medal for this team
1: out of Worlds. Uh, definitely their third in a row. So, uh, yeah, just not able to get quite over that hump. I mean, this was a a tall task to ask them to do, right? To come out and win three games in a row um, on Sunday. Uh, We talked about that during the Scotties that, uh, you know, whoever came out of that tiebreaker had a real tough road to the final. And, yeah, they sort of ran out of steam there in the game against Sweden. Yeah, but good on them to come back. like. Yeah.
0: Like if you were going to think of it over the course of the day, well, which game are they going to lose? Well, the third one. But even after having lost the semifinal, which also forces them to now have to play off against Yannick Schwaller, which was a detail that I was unaware of that if yeah. they had made the final, they're the Olympic team. So they lose that game. They don't have a chance at a gold medal. They don't have a chance now to secure their spot as a team, the four of them, in the Olympics next year. That would be a full total fine excuse after two long days of has the bubble broken or not to just, Mm -hmm. all right, like, like I want to go to sleep. This is a six end game and we lose nine to one. And I don't think anyone would have blamed them for that except for maybe people who don't want RCF to to get a medal, but like just on a human level, it would have been totally understandable for them to have a, just a complete letdown and just, all right, we're done with this event. Let's move on to the next thing. To their full credit, they did not. Came down to the end, nip and tuck the way. So full credit to Team Switzerland and the four of them because I don't know if I could have done that in the same
1: spot. Yeah, really, really good comeback. they. They gave up a five uh, in the fifth end to Nicodine. And I just realized that Nicodine scored two fives in the semifinals and finals on his way to winning the world championship. Uh, And that was when I sort of thought, oh, well, this is is done. Yeah. And uh, then you're right for them to come back, play as well as they did. uh, They had like a pretty good a uh, game there. I think they scored like shot 93% as a team. Uh, really, really, really good.
0: Yeah. That's a uh, good score.
1: Yeah. Not, sorry. 92, but like they, Yeah. To go from that low of, Oh man, we could have, you know, guaranteed our, us going to the Olympics. We could have uh, had a shot of not winning a bronze medal again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And then to come out with uh, the fire with which they did and and play well, Uh, hats off. We did see sort of the wheels fall off the RCF team. uh, Sergei Glukev wasn't able to, you know, play hero and uh, rescue his teammates the way he had earlier in the week. So uh, a tough day for them on Sunday, but uh, a very good showing. And uh, we'll see if we see Russian athletes at the Olympics. I think, uh, they they should be there now according to this, but we'll see. Yeah, well, we'll see if we and, see any uh, at the Olympics. Yeah, that's that's obviously a game that I didn't watch that closely because I was watching the other the uh, the gold medal game. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, all right,
0: let's talk about these and anything else from Sunday from the semifinals or the qualification game. We bid adieu to John Schuster uh, in yeah. the early afternoon. A tough loss for them um, to uh, in a game that, I mean, I don't know. Like if you put up Switzerland against the Americans, I, I would give a slight edge to Peter De Cruz, even though the Americans had played well all week. But I think just in general in that matchup, I think Switzerland is a, a overall stronger
1: team. Uh, yeah, I, I think so too. The the credit though to give to Team Schuster for coming out. All the hubbub around the positive test was it a false positive was it a positive did the bubble break? did it not all of that you know credit to them they came out, they parked all that and they played well yeah uh, Switzerland just played a little bit better um, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a a huge blowout. They were in it the whole way uh, they came out they fought hard. And uh, I'll give them credit uh, every day of the week, even though I didn't predict them to win. <laughs> uh, good on them for, for coming through it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no no argument there. Tough afternoon for John Schuster and for Matt Hamilton, too, uh, yesterday, uh, which not great when, when you have two players who are below everybody on the other team. And uh, yeah, the, it's just a, a tough day for them to yeah. To come up, but yeah, like a, a close game. They had a chance. Uh, they gave up the two and nine to go down two points. And you heard on the stream that uh, John Schuster was saying to the guys, "Hey, we have scored more threes than anybody else this week, so let's just go do it again." And I love that attitude. Let's go do it. So
1: yeah, yeah. And Sean, do you want to talk at all about uh, the, the decision by TSN not to air that game?
0: Yeah. So so let's talk about it. We we did a. A broom stacking with Jonathan from Rocks Across the Pond after the semifinal, or after the qualify. I don't. I don't even remember what game it was after, after the
1: qualification game.
0: Uh, so we did a we did a broom stack. So I'm assuming that everybody who's listening to this is aware of what happened. That after the game on Friday night, there were reports of a positive COVID test, and that turned into positive COVID tests, plural. And that all the games were suspended on Saturday. There was a press conference about 5.30 Eastern time on Saturday afternoon, just describing what had happened and that they had hoped to be able to play on Sunday. As of Sunday morning, there was still no news that had come out. And then it was announced that the games would start at 11 o'clock local time on Sunday morning with the U.S.-Switzerland game. The semifinals would be played at 4 o'clock local time and then the final And bronze medal game at nine o'clock local. Four positive tests from four different teams, and one of which was that later confirmed to be an American player. And John Schuster confirmed after the game that it was Chris Plies who was the one who tested positive. Everybody who tested positive, the report out of the World Curling Federation, the, the release that they put out, was that every one of those players subsequently tested negative on Saturday and in in partnership with Alberta Public Health, it was decided that the games would go on. Now, TSN decided not to show the American and Swiss game, citing the health and safety of the crew. So there clearly was some apprehension on the part of the crew to be on the ice with a player who had tested positive. And What we saw later in the day too is that even when TSN came back, Vic, Cheryl, and Russ were in the booth and they had some camera people on the concourse, but there were no TV cameras at ice level. There were a couple photographers down there, but no TV cameras at ice level. They used the overheads and the end shots for everything in that game. And what I said on the broom stack, and, and I still feel this way is, good for TSN and good for the crew and the broadcasters to all come together and at least publicly be unanimous in in saying that we're going to support each other. We're not comfortable. So we're not going to broadcast this game. So I, I think it was a good sign of, of partnership and teamwork of everybody at TSN. And I know those folks get really tight, uh, especially probably this year in the bubble. And coming together like that, I took it as a good sign and I kind of just appreciated that TSN and Bell were supportive of their people in that moment.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that the health and safety of your employees is paramount and the answers that they were given wasn't good enough for the standard that they had set. And as a result made what what I'll say is the right decision but uh a a decision that maybe some people didn't like uh but at the same time we we were able to watch that game on on YouTube here in canada so uh so that was also also good yeah um yeah and and when they came back i I was a little surprised that they didn't have the the camera people on the on the ice but uh don't uh don't begrudge them that at all no. uh for a lot of these curling events, Sean, it's the same camera crew uh that t s n uses that sportsnet uses, yep, so uh you know they'll be gearing up to cover the slams uh later this week, and so uh, I'm sure didn't wanna put themselves in any risky position. Um, especially with that event coming up so soon.
0: Yeah, and if you want to get a bit of an insight into how that kind of works, Andrew Stokely, when we talked with him last summer, who's a sound guy who has done stuff for TSN, he's done stuff for Sportsnet, he's primarily right now doing Blue Jays and uh, I don't think had the greatest of days on Saturday. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) if you want to get a sense of kind of how that works, how you go between companies when certainly uh, on-air talent doesn't do that, but uh, these guys who – or these men and women who work on the front lines of the event, if you will, uh, they, they do it all the time. So go back and listen to that discussion with Stokely, and he kind of explains that I think better than we could because that's what he does. That's his career. So, uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. so you will see a lot of the same folks staying in the bubble for the Grand Slams coming up. But, but overall, I think that, that was a really tough situation. Just in general, you get these positive tests and I'll just reiterate what I said on the broom stack. I, I was stunned to learn that they weren't doing daily tests. I think they, they should have been doing that. The exit testing for the teams who need the negative test to go home, that makes sense that sure, of course you're going to run them then, but I think just be more proactive than you need to be. Run the test throughout. That's what surprised me about it. Whether or not these are truly p- false positives at this point we don't know and i the, the world curling federation itself hasn't outright said they were false positives but they've really intimated that they believe they were false positives and i hope that that is the, indeed the case
1: yeah yeah it, so if they're false positives then the integrity of the bubble is intact and they can be a lot more confident going into um the next women's world championship Uh, in the procedures that they've set up and to be honest the way things all worked out in this event uh, I think the procedures were pretty robust that the procedure was not transparent but that's okay for me Uh, I don't I don't need to know everything as long as uh, the athletes who are there feel safe um, and and feel yeah safe and able to do their job the Th- with the slam starting you know it's not curling canada run event so we'll see what uh, it what if any changes to the procedures there will be right uh i i don't know at this point uh maybe somebody else does but i don't and uh it, so yeah like the thing the thing like wearing the mask during the games is that something that's going to be put in place for the slams maybe. to be honest i can't imagine it will be it's a tv sport they like to see the faces of the athletes but uh we'll see
0: indeed indeed we will i i i think keep the men and women apart though like that's the one thing i would say like right now is is try to keep them apart like you you don't want a case of covid from the men's side if indeed there was one to make its way to the women's side and they're quarantining at a different hotel. So if it's possible to keep them apart as much as possible, just for safety reasons, it would, it would suck to have a COVID situation come through the grand slams and disrupt the women's worlds, which to be fair or or not to be fair, but in, in all due respect to the grand slams, the women's world championship is more important than these two events. Yeah. So, we should do everything possible to protect it because Scott, these women can put on a show. And uh, yeah,
1: they can, and uh, they're going to be also competing to get their countries into the Olympics. Yep. Same as the men, uh, it's going to be another long haul. Yeah, it is. But uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So, uh, so Scott, what else from the men's world championship? Uh, we got the Olympic teams set, Sweden, RCF, the Americans, Canadians, Scots, and Swiss are going to Beijing, probably, uh, next, uh, next year. And some teams that fell out that maybe we had high hopes for, I certainly had high hopes for Japan and uh, Utah, but they struggled early in the week. They were 2-6, and six, but were able to climb their way back to 6-6 six and six before losing a game that looked like they were sort of ready to leave. Uh, against Sweden, Norway, of course, and Stefan Wallstedt, they got off to the hot start. They were at the top of the table for a while, and then things caught up to them. They end up at seven and six. You were high on the Italians; they go seven and six, also miss out. Everyone else lower on the table, and probably nothing too surprising there. Maybe just the Koreans, just because we didn't know who they were, we hadn't really seen them at this level. Them going two and eleven, maybe a bit of a surprise, but. I mean, we'll see if we see these guys back here Uh, again, if they're the team that goes to the qualification event. Of course, that'll depend on who wins the Korean Nationals next year. And overall, Scott, if you're looking at three spots still available at the Olympic Games, Italy, Norway, and Japan, based off of this week, look like they're in good shape.
1: Yeah, I I would say those will be the favorites. Um, I was really impressed with uh, Amos Masoner. Uh, of Italy, he ended up being the the third highest shooting third in the in the event. Uh, really played well in this. He had the strength of a hundred percent game in the tenth draw, uh, which was pretty impressive. I, I was also pretty impressed, Sean, at the end of the week by the Germans. They seemed to you know take their time to get their feet under them, but then Sixten Totsik really started playing well uh, towards the end of that week. Uh, pretty good game against the Canadians uh, as well in that last. Uh, Uh, last draw, you sort of had to come back uh, and was able to keep putting the pressure on. Mm -hmm. So uh, well done there. Uh, The others not, not so different from what you would expect. Uh, In our preview, we talked about the Danish team uh, and not really knowing exactly who came out of their uh, national championships because they were canceled because everybody got COVID. Uh, They ended up going with a combination of the two top teams, yeah, which I thought was weird, right? So they had uh, Mikkel Kraus sh- throwing the the skip stones. They had Uh, uh Tune, uh, Tobias Tune, uh, throwing third, and so those two both skip, yeah, the teams, and then throwing or throwing the second rocks but skipping the game was mad. Was Mads, uh, Mads Nergard? Yeah. So, so uh, that that was a weird choice, right? It was sort of like, uh, let's not prefer one of these two skips over the other. Let's just throw somebody else into it. Yeah. Uh what do you think of that strategy? It's
0: not a great idea to have guys who <laughs> haven't played together. Take two guys who are skips and don't let them skip. Made no sense. Yeah. Like, it, it's not a recipe for success.
1: No. No, for sure. So I I I mean, I'm sure they'll look at that uh and, and see how they can improve moving forward, but uh, I think you're right. Those those three spots pretty secure. For those three countries we we mentioned, I was pretty impressed by China too. They they took their time to get a feel for the ice, but I think they did get better towards the end of this event. Uh, I don't think they'll contend for a medal, but they're improving, and it, it's nice to see the Chinese team getting better, sort of in real time as you watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, they made some really nice shots, and yeah, the the Chinese curling on the men's side hasn't really found any success uh, in general. Just in, in the Pacific Asian region on the men's side has struggled and lagged behind where the women are in terms of finding success at the international level. So, yeah, for, for the sake of the sport, you do hope that uh, certainly the Korean, whoever comes out of Korea next year, uh, does well. Uh, that uh, The Chinese team, they're already in, of course, the Olympics next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can be competitive. And then if Yuta gets in, as well so so you'll you'll see that the region represented I would expect but at the same time because China finishes last in this on draw shot challenge they were the worst of the three two and 11 teams who all beat each other the region now loses a guaranteed spot so someone will have to come out of the pack championship and go in to the last chance world's qualifier
1: yeah, yeah. And if, if we see that different team from Korea, whose name is escaping me right now, uh, them come back into the the fold as the Korean champion, I think they could uh, definitely fight to to try and get in that last spot at the Olympic Games.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. I don't know if anybody who wasn't there this week is a threat for one of those three spots. Maybe, but... You know, there's nobody that really jumps out on first take when you look at these teams. And certainly if you take the four, maybe five, uh, but of Italy, Norway, Japan, Korea, and then even someone like Jaap Van Dorp, who they can win some games against the Euro B-level teams who would be vying in that last chance qualifier. So really good. It'd be, I think, surprising to see a team who wasn't here qualify for the Olympics. But that's what the last chance qualifier is for.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see if anybody's able to come out of that. Uh, I'm just looking on the World Curling Federation website and I don't see their. They haven't announced the event yet, right?
0: No, there's no dates or location. I There, there may be dates, there's no location for it. Because.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see anything. Here yeah, so. because
0: Curling Canada, when they moved up the trials, it wasn't explicitly stated that it was because the world qualifiers in early December, the last chance qualifiers in early December, but mm-hmm. I am might've been part of the decision-making there, I, but that's total speculation on my part. Cause obviously you don't want to have the trials be scheduled at the same time as the last chance qualifier. When you are 100% sure that you're in, <laughs> that would have not been great. Yes. Yes. So uh, Scott, speaking of Canada and curling Canada, we haven't talked about Canada and Brendan Botcher yet. Uh, interesting week for them. They had a really bad Wednesday dropping two games to RCF in Sweden, come back, win their game Thursday, win their game Friday, finish up nine and four and lose in the game against Scotland, the qualification round game. And, uh, I tweeted after the game. I don't know who could have beat Scotland that, that night on Friday, Scotland played really well. But overall, mm-hmm. first time now for Brendan Botcher and the squad in a world championship. How do you assess their week in the bubble?
1: I think, Sean, uh, mission accomplished. Uh, I will say for the Botcher squad, the goal this week, I mean, for them was probably to win. Yeah. But for Curling Canada was to solidify the space in uh, the spot in the Olympic Games. They did that they got experience themselves at a world championship. I talked, uh, we, we did a live show on Friday and I talked about how it seemed to me weird that, that the botcher team, it seemed to me like they went away from their bread and butter strategy that they had at the briar. Uh, you talk about this team as a team, that's not going to run away from anybody. Uh, they, they don't blow anybody out except for John Schuster. Uh, and like, it's, it's frustrating to me to watch them play a team like Korea and have Korea be in the game the whole time. And they can't seem to pull away and, and slam the door uh, on them. Right. And right. at the end of the day, they hang, they hang around and Korea pulls out the win in the end. Uh, I, I didn't see that kind of curling happening from them and the briar. I felt like they were uh, throwing hits They They were okay to blank ends. I, I feel like this, in this event, they didn't feel like blanking ends as much. It was like, well, let's put up guards and try to go around. And and it, it was somewhat puzzling. Okay. Other than that, you know, they, they did a good job representing the country. I, I wouldn't join the chorus of people who say, oh, they're terrible because they didn't win. Sure. Like, obviously not. Uh, they're not terrible. Chelsea Carey's not terrible. They're all good, great curlers. Mm-hmm. So let's stop with that you know, that uh, narrative, but uh, it, it seemed to me like maybe the time in the bubble, right? Maybe the time in the bubble had caught up with them a bit.
0: It was a long time for Brendan and Darren. They'd been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and Darren wasn't feeling great physically. He, he talked about that with the the girls on, on their podcast when they talked to him. So physically, he wasn't in the best condition. Yeah. You're stuck in this bubble. So, Yeah, it's kind of hard to assess. I I think if you look at the numbers, at the Briard, nine of their games were decided by two points or less. So they are a team that is going to play close games. They're they're not going to run out and hide. And of those games that were decided by more, one was against Yukon, one was against Northwest Territories, one was against Brad Gushu in the last draw of the event, where Brad Gushu looked like me. So, Mm. you know, it's not... You know, it, it, it's not a situation where they're, they do run out and hide because it, it, they just don't. And if you look at the numbers for the week, their last stone efficiency in this event was 46% and they forced at a 54% rate. So those are pretty good numbers. They were plus 19 overall. Sweden, perhaps unsurprisingly, ran away in the plus minus category with 52% Mm -hmm. of a last-known efficiency and 67% on a force efficiency, which is actually the same force efficiency as the Scottish team had. But overall, I think they they just weren't quite as sharp as we've seen them before. They did look like they were tired at points, just mentally and physically exhausted. Maybe Ryan had something on that when he looked at the schedule. Uh, I'm still not fully sold uh, on the schedule itself being a factor, but it it just, it's not, they, they didn't play to the, to their absolute best, but you also have to remember that there are teams there who are trying to ensure that you don't play to your absolute best. You know, the other guys drive nice cars too, as the saying goes in, in professional sports. So I, I think overall, probably a little disappointing for them personally And certainly below where I thought they would finish in this field, I I picked them to win. And so in that regard, I'm a little surprised, but I don't think that when you look at the field, when you looked how how everything played out, I would not call this a disappointing week for the team. I would certainly think that Curling Canada would view this as a hurdle that was gotten over. I don't think Curling Canada would necessarily call it a successful week. I don't think, the botcher team would either because they went in and they would have wanted to win so i wouldn't necessarily call it a win i will just say that the first time they went to the briar they were three and eight and looked completely out of their depth at that time their first time mm-hmm. at this event they went nine and four and did not look out of their depth at all and the first time they went to the briar was four years or five years ago so the total growth of this team is very impressive in a short amount of time and Brennan Botcher still has yet to probably reach the prime of his curling career.
1: Yeah. And, and Sean, looking at the statistics, he was the number one skip, uh, all week. So it's pretty good. The, the, the shots that he was missing were just the ones he was missing at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, a, a roll off here, uh, a little too heavy there. Uh, that, that gave them the the games that they lost. Now, I mean, even if they had beat Korea, which you would expect, and everything else had gone the same, they would have finished third and played Switzerland. So, right. you know, uh, it, it was going to be tough no matter what. Every team that made the playoffs there was uh, good, or at the very least hot this week. So, yeah, I, I mean, you play tough teams, you're going to lose some. Yeah, that's the way it goes.
0: Yeah, I think gone are the days of people going undefeated through these fields.
1: Maybe unless you're Rachel Holman. Uh, Maybe. But even even Anna if Hassel you Brooks look at when hurt. she did it,
0: that's still what, six years ago. Yeah, that's true. Right? And nobody's really, yeah. I, I think, come close to it since. Maybe there's been a one-loss team through it. But it, it, it's hard to run through these fields. And if you look at the game Friday night too, nip and tuck the whole way. I think overall the, the Scottish team was a little better uh, overall. And mm-hmm. when you look at the last shot that Brendan Botcher went to throw, that was one where he, I mean, he saw it and he sees angles. It's one of the best in the world. No no question about it. But I didn't quite see what he saw. And I don't think Darren saw it either. Uh, but they did what I think is, of course, the right thing. You defer to the person throwing. He sees it. Uh, but that I, I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see if if someone asks him during the grand slam if, if it comes up at all if looking at that shot back if that's a case of does he still think that that angle was there and the way it was or is that a case of i've been in this bubble for 2 months and uh, you know uh, may, I, I, I don't know I'm, I'm just curious shots. about it and or, or i mean the sto- the stones are lively enough that yeah maybe it was there and he just didn't hit it in the right spot uh from what he intended to but at that point of the game, it was so low percentage to win that he had to try something. So,
1: yeah, and in in the ninth, his, I mean, he threw a guard that was in a very good spot to stop Bruce Moutt from drawing for two, and then he made it. And anyway. Moutt just made an he made an incredible shot. Yeah. Like he threw it heavy enough to just tap and roll forward uh, off of the Canadian stone, frozen to another. It, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I didn't expect him to make it, and. Uh, all, all credit to the Scottish team for putting that shot together—real team shot. Yeah, brilliant on that one.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And another one that's uh, that—that'll probably make a highlight. But I don't think just seeing the stone in from the hog line, you would appreciate how hard that was.
1: No, no way. Yeah, very, no very way. That was really stuff. Really hard. Really good.
0: All right, well, Scott, anything else from the World Championship that you want to talk
1: about? Well, Sean, probably we should talk about our picks. No, we could.
0: <laughs> I uh so I had Canada as I mentioned to win. Neither of us got the 6 playoff teams correct and that is because RCF got in, uh, the the Russian team and uh, Sergei Glukov and the guys. So overall Scott, I believe I got 5 of the teams correct in the playoffs um with Japan yes. being my pick that I thought would make the playoffs and did not. And I believe you got four,
1: right? I did, yeah. Uh, U.S. I I thought that there was too much time off for Schuster. And uh, I was wrong. Uh Yeah. And, yeah, RCF. I don't think anybody picked them. Right. So
0: who did you have in? You had the Italians in. The Italians and Japan. Japan. Yuda, letting us both down. Yeah. Come on, Yuda. (laughs) We'll have to let him know about that. Yeah, I'm sure he's very concerned about what we think. About our yeah, plans. and then
1: i i had picked uh, i had picked Scotland to win. Yes, I thought it was Bruce Mowat's time, and uh, you know it was just uh, one five ender short. Yeah, he can he came
0: close. So, uh, so there you have it. Neither us got this one right on the numbers, but not terrible either. I don't think uh, so. Scott, how did you do on your wagering on this event?
1: So i I made money. Nice on Nicholas Adine winning. So. All right. That's that's good. That's that's all that matters, right? Would you made have made
0: money. money without the matching
1: offer that you got? Um if I had bet the same amount on Nicholas Adeen, then yes, I still would have. Okay. Um I curiously enough, I bet money on Scotland as well and that was the only bet that would have returned me less than I had invested. <laughs> right. So uh, I I wasn't too sad when uh Adine popped that five end.
0: Yeah, making money.
1: That's all it takes, right? That's it. Just that easy. I'll probably just withdraw it all and buy Game of Stones merch. So
0: That's fine. I'll take it. Yeah. I like it. So uh, so yeah, so there you go. Scott made money and uh even though his picks were worse than mine. Weird. yeah Yeah. of course i did not wager on the event as you know as a member of the media scott of course i have to (laughs) remain impartial on all these things oh dear (laughs) so uh so there you have it our recap of the men's world curling championship if you want a little more in depth on our thoughts about the potential of the bubble breaking do head over podcast. We did Broomstack, as I mentioned, with Jonathan from Rocks Across the Pond yesterday, and that was pretty much entirely devoted to the situation on COVID. So if you want more detail than what we talked about here, you can find it on the Broomstack, which is still available in the video section of the page. So this one, though, we wanted to focus mostly on the rocks themselves and the men who were throwing them all week. Uh, yeah. All right. Good contribution, Scott. So that'll do it for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show, wherever it is. You get your podcast, do the likes, the ratings, comments, all that fun stuff helps other people find the show and keeps us chugging along here. And of course do follow along on social media at game of stones pod on Twitter and Instagram. You Can find Scott at Scott Lakes TV. I am at the Graham. Let us know what you want to hear on the show. Get in touch. Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com and head on over to game of All the past episodes are there. Plus, as Scott mentioned, the merch. I got my hoodie last week and my toque just in time for spring. Uh, I really like the hoodie. It's super comfy. I was laying down watching the game last night, all sort of snuggled in my new Game of Stones hoodie, and it was delightful. And Scott, you have just done the latest monthly donation to Sandra Smurler and Food Banks Canada. So once we get some new orders, we will continue that and uh, get some new donations in. Yeah, looking forward to that. All right. So that'll do it for the worlds on the men's side. We will do something for the Grand Slam at some point. Uh, so do keep an eye on the feed for something associated with the first Grand Slam, the Players' Championship, coming up this week. I can't remember who sponsors it. Somebody. But it's the Players' Championship. That gets going later this week out in the bubble. it would be fun to see some more new faces and some returning faces heading back to Calgary. So we'll be there to follow along with you. So do keep an eye on the feed. But until we talk to you again... Keep those brooms on the ice, and don't dump that intern.
1: Make the final...